right, now this morning, I think um, the week before last, I spoke on worship, and I just want to continue on. This is worship part two um, this morning. Now, worship is such a key, and because praise and worship, worship bring us into the presence of God. And that's what we want. We want, we want, we want God to be in our midst. We want his presence. We want his anointing. And when God's presence is with us, well, you know, nothing is impossible because the Lord himself is in our midst. And, you know, one of the greatest revelations ever, ever received was that woman at the well. I mean, it, it amazes me. It just continually amazes me that someone like that, who'd come out of such a background, and yet, and yet, she receives one of the greatest revelations in the whole of the Bible, and that's the revelation of, of worship, that the Father is seeking worshipers, those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And obviously there was true repentance, and God forgave her, and she had just such a heart for God. So true worship is the spiritual, emotional, mental, physical expression of man's whole being, directed to God in thanksgiving, in veneration, in adoration, just our whole beings, as it were, being poured out to him in love and adoration. Now, I want to look at the first mention of worship in the word of God, and that's in Genesis chapter 2. And sometimes you can get a key to the meaning of a word or the meaning of number when you look at the very first time it is, it is used. They call that the, 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 the law of first mention. But in Genesis chapter 22, it's the familiar story when God came and spoke to Abraham. And God had given Abraham many promises. And he, he, he called him out of the Ur of Chaldeas. He called him to the, 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 the promised land. Abraham had obeyed. And we know he didn't have a son God miraculously gave him a son, uh, the miracle son, Isaac. And God spoke to him that all the promises that God gave him, that his seed would be like the stars in the sky and like the sand in the sea. And all the, the fulfillment of all that was in Isaac. And we read there in Genesis 22 and verse 5. You know, and, and here Abraham Abraham was faced, facing a great test. It was the test of all tests. And God spoke to him, go, take thy son, thy only son Isaac, and offer him for a sacrifice, for a burnt offering in the land at the mountain of Moriah in Jerusalem. Now Abraham, he was in Bathsheba at this time, and it said, and I and the lad... And in verse 5, it says, I and the lad will go yonder and worship, worship. And that's the first mention that worship is used in, in the whole Bible. I'll worship and come again to you. Now, worship has a price tag attached to it and a willingness, you know, we must be willing to pay the price to worship the Lord. There's a price tag upon it. In fact, it's, it's costly. And in Revelation, in, in Genesis 22 and 
in verse 1 and 2. We see there in verse 2, God says to Abraham, Take now thy son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I tell thee of. So Abraham, he had a revelation from God. He had a revelation from God. So we can say worship, worship is based on a revelation, a revelation of God. And that's what the woman at the well had. She had a revelation about worship. She was saying, well, her fathers, they worshipped in Mount Garrison, in malaria, it was a mountain of blessing. But then she said to Jesus, you being a Jew, your fathers worshipped, you know, in, in Jerusalem. And Jesus was trying to, to show her that worship was not just associated with a place, whether it's Mount Gerasim in Jerusalem or Mount, Moriah, Mount Gerasim in Samaria or Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. No, worship was not, not just a, a place, but worship, you can worship God. You can worship God anywhere. And, and you know, worship is based on a, revela a revelation from God to our spirits. And we see in verse 3, straight away, Abraham obeyed what God told him to do. He rose up early, he saddled his ass, he took his young men and Isaac, his son, and immediate obedience, immediate obedience. So Abraham obeyed the revelation. So if we're going to be worshippers, firstly, we need a revelation of worship from God. Secondly, we need to walk in obedience. And often worship involves giving. Worship involves giving something to God because he's worthy. He's worthy. And what a price for Abraham. Isaac, the miracle son, was worth more. I mean, Abraham had thousands of cattle and gold and silver and riches. He'd been blessed greatly by God. But Isaac was far more important to him than all of those material things. And Abraham was willing to give which was most precious to him, his only son, his miracle son, through whom the promises would come forth. And Abraham was willing to give Isaac. And all the promises that God had made to Abraham, they contained, they were contained in Isaac. First Chronicles 16, verse 29. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Giving to God. Bring an offering and come before him. So we bring an offering. It's about giving. Bring an offering, come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And with the three wise men, they come from the east when Jesus was born. And when they'd found Jesus, they opened their treasures and they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and, and myrrh. They gave gifts. And what did they do? They fell down and they worshipped him. They worshipped Jesus, the Son of God, who is divine. So thirdly, worship involves giving. Fourthly, worship involves a sacrifice. And all the promises that God gave to Abraham were with, with, with through Isaac. And yet, 
it seemed that God was telling Abraham to do something the opposite of the promises that God had given. And he's told to kill Isaac. Now, you can't figure that out with logic. But Abraham had a revelation. He knew he'd heard from God. He obeyed. And so he simply was willing to do what God said, even though he could not figure it out logically with, it, with his mind. Abraham offered Isaac in faith and in worship. And he was willing to sacrifice the most precious thing he had. In fact, we know from the New Testament that Abraham, I mean, he must have been a, you know, a mighty man of faith. And he believed that God... If, if, he believed that even if he killed Isaac, that God was able to raise him up from the dead again. And that is brought out clearly in Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 17 to 19. We, we won't go to it, but in those verses, it brings that out clearly. And, you know, of the sacrifice, the sacrifice that Abraham made, and, and worship, worship and sacrifice, they're, they're, they're linked together, they're tied together. Job, we think of Job. He, he, again, he was a very extremely wealthy man in his time. Abundance of sheep and cattle and oxen, thousands of them. But he lost everything in one day. And, his seven, and not only that, there was a tornado that came down. His seven sons and his three daughters were having a feast there, and they were all killed instantly. I mean, Job lost all those riches. He lost the house. It had fallen down. He lost all his sons and his daughters. What does he do? He falls down on the ground, and he worships God. I mean, how could he do that? And he, he made this statement in chapter 1, verse 20. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return hither. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job's worship, see his worship to God, was not just because God blessed him with cattle or God blessed him with sons and daughters, Job's worship was not just because of what he could get from God, from any blessings from God, but he worshipped God for who he was. He worshipped God for who he is. And even when Job, even when he lost everything, Job is still able to worship, worship the Lord. What, a, what an amazing person. What an amazing person he was. Now, when we worship... Worship changes us into the likeness of the one we worship. In other words, we become like what we worship. And, you know, God is seeking worshipers. And the reason God seeks worshipers is because as we worship him, we become like him. We are changed. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. But we are changed bit by bit, bit by bit into his image. You know, everybody worships something. People worship what they think is worthy. You know, people worship 
some movie or rock star, some sports hero. People worship money. Some people worship their career. Some people worship their car. And you can even worship your wife or your husband or your children if they come before Christ in your lives. In India, where we lived for 13 years, people worship millions of different gods. Over, they have about over 30 million different gods in India. And behind those gods, behind those idols that they worship, are demons. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 20, and Paul says there, he said, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils, or they sacrifice to demons, and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils or with demons. On one occasion, Pastor Bailey, when he was in Sri Lanka, God gave him a vision. And in the vision, he saw you know, many people worshipping this idol at the, the temple. You know, we generally kept right out of, out of temples because of all the spiritual powers there. But in this vision, he saw many people worshipping the idol at a temple. And he saw many demons' hands, the hand, many, many hands come out from the idol. And with those hands, they put their hand behind the head of the people and then pushed them, pushed them down, pushed them down. To prostrate them, to prostrate themselves, to prostrate themselves before those idols as they worshipped him, and to make them bow down to the idol, and and it's very real. Demons and the powers of of of, of demons and the powers of darkness are very very real. We know in Psalm 135, in Psalm 135, which in verses 15 to 18. We see, we see a negative, the negative side of what we worship. We'll look at the negative, then we'll look at the positive. But in the negative side, in, these, in Psalm 135, it speaks of those who worship idols. And it says they worship idols. And, and the psalmist is saying how stupid, how foolish it is to worship an idol. Because they have mouth, they have mouths, but they... They have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. And, and he says that those who make them will become like them. They become like the idols they worship. Psalm 106, verse 19, 20. They made a calf in Horeb. Horeb or Sinai, and worship the molten or the, the, the molded image. Thus they change their glory into the similitude or the image of an ox that eats grass. You know how, how foolish, how pathetic. But on the positive side, in 2 Corinthians in chapter 3, 2 Corinthians in chapter 3 and verse 17 uh, verse 17 and 18, we see the positive side of being changed. And in this chapter, in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is comparing 
the law and the ministry of Moses and what happened in the old covenant to the ministry of the spirit and of the, you know, the new covenant and how much greater the new covenant is. And it was on Mount Sinai that Paul received, I mean, Moses received the Ten Commandments. He went up, he was 40 days, 40 nights. He fasted, he didn't eat, he didn't drink. 40 days, it was a supernatural fast. He came down, they were worshipping an idol, and he threw the command the commandments down, they broke. He cried, then he cried out in great intercession for his people. And then he went back up into the mountain again, another 40 days, 40 nights fasting supernaturally. And then he came down the second time with the, with the Ten Commandments. And when he came down, he didn't even realize it, but his face shone with the glory of God. Like, you know, the sun. You look at the sun on a bright day. You, 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 you can only look at it just for a fraction of a second. Then you've got to turn your eyes away. The, 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 the glory, the strength is so strong. And when, when Moses came down from the mountain, the children of Israel, they, could, they, were, they were not able to look up, look you know, they were not able to look upon his face because the glory of God that was on it. And so, you know, Moses had to put a veil on over his face to cover that when he talked with, the, with his own people, with the children of Israel. But then when he went and he talked to God, he would obviously, he would, he would take that off. So that was the, so in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is saying, well, that was the glory in the Old Testament, under the law. And then at, in, in verse 18, it says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, or as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image. We're changed into the same image from glory to glory from one degree of glory to another degree of glory to another degree of glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And this wonderful verse, and it tells us that as we worship God, you know, in the positive side, we are changed. We are changed into his image. We become more and more like Jesus. And, you know, sometimes... When I was in India, and we'd be in many different places and different seminars and different churches, and you know, sometimes you know, during a, a time of worship, sometimes I'd, I'd watch someone. I'd never met them. I'd never said hello. I didn't know them. But just you know, as they worship God, there was just something, something about it. I mean, I just knew, just read it. They love Jesus with all their heart, with all their being, with, with everything within them. And it was evident, even just by their face as they worshipped, that they loved the Lord with all of their heart. And in verse 9 of that verse, 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 9, it says, For if the ministry, oh, this is from the, the, new, the new King James, if the ministry of condemnation had glory, in other words, that's the Old Testament 
and Moses and the glory of God upon him. Then, Paul says, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. In other words, the new covenant is greater than the old covenant. The glory, and, and Paul is saying, well, they had this glory in the old covenant. In the old covenant, they had the tabernacle of Moses. There was the Shekinah glory there. And, and when Moses came down from the mountain, his face shone. The glory of God was there. Now, now, in the early church, God moved in revival. There were many wonderful things happening. But they did not have the glory in the New Testament church, in Acts of the Apostles, like they did in the, in the, in the Old Covenant during the time of Moses. But Paul says to them, and he writes, and he says, but if the ministry of condemnation, that's, that's the Old Covenant, if that be glory, much more, much more, doth the ministration or the ministry of righteousness exceed in glory. And then verse 11, if that which was done away was glorious, that's the law in the time of Moses, he says much more, much more, that which remains is glorious. So much more, much more. In other words, he's speaking there prophetically about our day, about our time about the, the, the time of the last days before the return of Jesus, when revival comes and the, 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 the complete fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel, that I will pour out my spirit in the last days upon all flesh. And Paul is, is looking forward to this prophetically. And he said, if, if, what, if, if what is passing away was, was glorious, that was in the time of Moses, what remains is much more glorious. So we see two much mores in both of these in both of these ver verses. And it's speaking, you know, of the revival in these last days. Now Paul is speaking of the glory of God which will be upon the last day church. And as I've mentioned, the early church did not have the what Moses had, the Shekinah glory in the Holy of Holies, and his face, you know, radiant. But Paul was saying there will be great glory and a greater glory in these last days. There was one man of God who came to New Zealand several times. He was a German. He lived in America. He had a, was involved in a Bible school, and he had a very, he had a very close walk with the Lord, sharp sensitivity to the spirit. And he was in Germany, he was originally German, and the Lord spoke to him to go to Amsterdam. And so he didn't know what for, so he obeyed God and he got a flight to, to Amsterdam. He got there, he went into a hotel, and that's so he said, and the Lord did not speak. So he said, Lord, unless you speak to me, I'm going back again, back to the hotel tomorrow. So he went back to the he back to the airport tomorrow to go back. So God did not speak, and he went back to the airport. And then the airport, there was, a, there was a fog over the airport in Amsterdam. Nowhere else, just over the airport. And all the flights were, all the flights were delayed. And so he was just sitting down and just waiting before the Lord and praying. And there was an African man, a Muslim man, and he'd been searching for God. And he was there. And he watched Brother Butler, and he saw, you know, a, a glory on his face. 
And he'd been searching for reality, searching for truth. And so he, he came up to the African man, businessman, came up to Brother Butler, and he said to Brother Butler, what's your secret? And Brother Butler, he didn't, he, he didn't think anything was... So he said, what do you mean? What do you mean? And he said, all that, the glory that's on your, on your face. Your face is radiant, it's shining. And Brother Butler was not even aware of it. But anyway, through that, that man gave his heart. Brother Butler told him about Christ. He shared the gospel with him. He shared how to be saved. He shared he, how he could know the truth, that Jesus was the truth. And he died for him and he rose again. And he prayed with him. And, he, and, and the businessman received Christ into his, into his heart. Immediately after the prayer finished, then the fog cleared. And there was an announcement over the loudspeaker that the, the flights were to, to go ahead. And, and he, had to, he had to go to his, to his plane. And, you know, it was an amazing, amazing example. But things like that, they're going to be commonplace in these last days. Romans 8, verse 28, it tells us that whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So the purpose of our lives, what is the purpose of our lives? Well, it's not just to get saved and know that we'll go to heaven one day. I mean, praise the Lord, we're going to heaven. That's wonderful. But God's got more purpose than that. And it's not just to receive some, some blessings from the Lord. But why God has saved us is that, you know, even in this life, we would become increasingly more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why worship is so vital. That's why it's so important. That's why we emphasize it. As we, as we, because as we worship, as we worship, something happens. As we worship in truth, in holiness, something happens. We're changed. We're changed. And we become more and more like Jesus. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen overnight. You can't just say, well, lay hands and bang, you've got it. No, it's a process. It's an ongoing process. But that should be the, the heart cry, our heart cry that, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, come. Oh, Lord, change me. Change me, Lord. Change me more into your likeness and your image. And, you know, one of the prophetic words on our church, on Mount Zion Church, part of our vision is that, this church would be a, a, a worshipping church. And so I encourage you, you know, pray. Pray for our worship leaders. Pray for our musicians. Pray for those in the sound desk and those who are involved because these are very important roles because through worship we come into God's presence. Another amazing thing about worship is that true worship, it breaks the power of idolatry. And we see that in 1 Samuel chapter 5 in the first few verses. And this was the occasion when there'd been war between the Israelites and the Philistines. And the Philistines had won and they captured the Ark of the Covenant. And they brought the Ark of the Covenant to Ashdod, which is one of the one of the chief cities of the of the Philistines. And 
Dagon was the Philistines' god, and he was the chief god of the Philistines. And so they brought the ark, and they put the ark in the temple of Dagon. And this god Dagon of the Philistines, he was thought to control the weather and to control the fertility of the land so that when they planted, they would you know, get good crops. And what happened? The first night, Dagon became, came crashing down before the ark. And then the Philistines, they lifted him up and put him back in place. And then the next morning when they went in, again, Dagon had come crashing down before the ark. And the head of Dagon and the, and the arms of Dagon were in one piece. They were, fell over. And then it was just, just the torso or the, the stump which was, which, was le- which was left. And so when they came crashing down, it was as if, you know, that Dagon was worshipping the, Israelite, the Israelites' God. So this was recorded to demonstrate you know, the foolishness, the foolishness of worshipping an idol, the foolishness of, of worshipping an impotent God, a God, but a, but a God with no power. Only the stump or the torso of Dagon was left. And as we worship God in spirit and in truth, the powers, that are, the, the, the powers of Satan, the dark powers arrayed us can come crumbling down. And also with worship, worship, worship and holiness, they're linked together, they're connected together. And if our worship is going to be acceptable unto the Lord, you know, some people go through the outward actions and they appear to be worshipping and they lift their hands and they do the correct things, they do all the right things and they say the right words. But if their heart is not right and if they're not desiring to walk in God's holiness, You know, it's just like empty words that are coming out. That worship is not accepted by the Lord. Without holiness, our spiritual senses become dull to the Lord's presence. That's why the psalmist says, and it says in in two two psalms, Psalm 22, 29, verse 2, and also Psalm 96 and verse 9 tells us, to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Worshipping the Lord, how do we worship God? In the beauty of holiness. That is what the Lord desires. And if God tells us to do that, we can't say, well, it's impossible. Now, it is impossible in our own strength, but we have the Holy Spirit you know, to help us and the grace that comes from the Lord. Jesus said, Matthew 5, verse 8, the Sermon of the Mount, Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Psalm 15, verse 1 and 2, speaks about ascending up into the hill of the Lord, God's mountain. Also, Psalm 24, verse 3, verse 3 and 4, who shall go up to the hill of the Lord? Who are the ones? Who are the ones who will ascend Mount Zion? And he said, He that hath clean hands, clean hands, our works, and a pure heart, the innermost thoughts, you know, of our hearts. They are the ones that will go into the presence of the Lord. It was a, many years ago a vision that Pastor Bailey's wife had, and she saw two churches in a certain city, and 
There was one, it was an evangelistic church, an evangelical church. I think there were about 200 people in that church. And many hands were raised, but there were only a very few which were white hands, were white hands, speaking of purity. And then she saw a small Pentecostal church, which was about just about 30 people. And in that small church, it was only about 30, but everyone had their hand raised, and they were all white hands. So there were more white hands in the small church than in the big church. And so, in other words, those with the white hands were worshipping in the beauty of were worshipping in the beauty of holiness. And there's also a connection between worship and evangelism. And, you know, we see that in the John's, John's Gospel, chapter 4, the woman at the well. You know, she had a revelation of worship. But then, after that revelation of worship, she picked up the, 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 the burden of evangelism. And it was through, you know, her testimony that virtually that city of Samaria came to the Lord. And when Jesus first meets her in the cool, of, in the, the heat of the day, and in, in, in John's Gospel, chapter 4, she calls him, she calls him a Jew. And, and that was kind of a, you know, the, the Samaritans hated the Jews, the Jews hated the Samaritans, and that was kind of like a derogatory term. Verse 9, she called, she, this woman called Jesus a, a, a Jew. And then Jesus speaks about the living water. And so in verse 11, then she addresses him, you know, she, but, but higher up she calls him, sir, sir, but more respect. And then she speaks about Jacob and, and, and both the Jews and the Samaritans, both of them, they both respected, revered uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And so she speaks of Jesus, you know, speaks of Jacob to Jesus. And then when Jesus tell, tells her that, you know, she lived with you know, five different husbands, and the one she was living with now was not her husband. Then she says in verse 19 that Jesus was a prophet. And then it goes on, in verse 29, then she says Jesus is not only a prophet, he is the Christ, he is the anointed one, he is the Messiah. And then in verse 42, he is the saviour of the world, the saviour of the world. And she goes and she says, to the people in the city, come see a man who told me everything that I've done. And they came themselves. And it was through her testimony that, you know, they came to the Lord. And, you know, evangelism and, and many people, you know, were, were, were wonderfully saved. So worship is not only connected with holiness. Worship is, is linked up with evangelism. And just, just in closing, just... You know, we can, some ways, worship can be expressed. Now, often praise or faster songs will lead into worship, generally slower songs. And so, you know, firstly, you know, a song that has been learned, a song that has been learned. Paul says, I will sing with the understanding, 1 Corinthians 14, 15. And, you know, worship songs are usually slower, focusing on the Lord. And then, secondly, you know, a new song. We're going to sing, you know, a new song unto the Lord. Paul says, Ephesians 5:19, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. 
Colossians 3.16, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalm 144.9, I will sing a new song unto you, O God. And a, and a new song can be just, just making up words of love and adoration to the Lord and singing them, expressing our love to the Lord, our adoration to the Lord. And then often that can lead to, to singing in the spirit or, or singing in other tongues, making a melody, blending together with others in the congregation. And then sometimes there can be, you know, sometimes there can just be a time of sight of, of quietness, quietness. You know, sometimes we don't like it when everyone's quiet. But, you know, there's a time to shout, yes. There's a time to dance, yes. But there's also a time to be quiet. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. And, you know, it's like a, it's not, not, not a dead silence, but, a, but like a holy silence, a supercharged silence. You know, silence is there, but everyone, God is with us. God is in our midst. And so in congregational worship, there should be a blending or a harmonizing of voices. Uh, you know, worship is generally quieter than praise. And, you know, after a time of worship, sometimes there's a time to be quiet and still for a bit. And so that the Lord has the opportunity to speak through his people, through the, through the gift, through prophecy, through the gift to the Holy Spirit. And so it's like praise leads into worship, and worship can lead to you know, singing in the spirit or singing in tongues, and then that can lead on to God speaking through prophecy and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I want you to pray, pray, pray that you'll be a worshiper. And I know we're worshipers at one level, but let's pray. God will take us higher. God will take us on. We want to be worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. We want to be worshipers who will worship him in the beauty of holiness. And we're willing to obey, to sacrifice. There's a price tag to obey and to sacrifice that we would worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And he seeks, he, the Father seeks worshipers. If he has to seek them, it means they're difficult to find. They're difficult to find. And the Father is searching here in Mount Zion Church. He's searching. How many true worshippers will he find? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. Lord, we, 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 we thank you for it, but Lord, we know that there is much more. And Lord, we've heard that the Heavenly Father is searching for worshippers. Oh God, Lord, we pray. Lord, may we qualify. May we be those who love you, who will obey you, 
who will give unto you, who will sacrifice when you call, call, call us to sacrifice, who will receive revelation from you. Cause us, Lord, to be true worshippers, worshipping you in the beauty of holiness, worshipping you in spirit and in truth. Lord, seal this message. Work it out in our lives day by day. In Jesus' name, amen.